This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. I get to share with you this morning. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about my testimony. I'm going to share a little bit from the word, and I hope that it will both challenge you and equip you, um, and then we'll have a response at the end. Um, how many of you have heard of the tool, the Romans Road, used for sharing the gospel? I'm going to, my message is based on that. So um, it's a tool used using scriptures from the book of Romans, which Paul the Apostle wrote, and he wrote, it's, I mean, it's, think it's 16 chapters of, like, you want a logical exposition about the faith of Christianity, about Jesus and who he was, read Romans. It's a good book. Everyone should have a thorough knowledge of it. But this tool just takes four of the verses within the book of Romans and puts them in an order that shares the gospel message. And so we have... Um, why we need salvation, how God provided salvation, and how we can receive salvation in these verses. So do I need to tell you if I want the next slide? Next slide. Okay, so these are the three, these are the four verses. Romans 3.23 basically says all sinned. Romans 5.8, Christ died. Romans 6.23, we get a free gift. And Romans 10.9, be saved. There's a lot more in each of these verses, and we'll unpack that as we go. But this is like the summary of the Romans Road. This is what you can share with anybody you know to share the gospel. And if you don't understand this for yourself, I hope that you come away today with a greater knowledge of the Roman, like what, what the gospel is and what that means for you. I want you to notice that there's nothing mentioned in these verses that tells us what we have to do. There is no works. It's not by works that we are saved. There's nothing that we could do to earn it. And um, God provided it, and we receive it. So next slide, Romans 3.23, the full verse says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is where we have to start, right? Like, we can't get past this. You should never gloss over this in, in um, sharing the gospel or in your own life. So many of us, though, are already very aware of our sinful state. I think that kind of comes naturally. But there are others who convince themselves that they're good enough. If you might try to share the gospel with someone, they may say, well, I'm good enough. We have the scripture as the authority on this. All have sinned. There is no one good enough to earn their way. We cannot earn our way into good standing with the Lord. There is nothing we can do. And so um, just a little bit of my story, I um, grew up in a really pretty easy, happy home. It was, um, I was comfortable. I had um, a family who went to church. So I grew up going to church and I had, um, I actually had this, kind of preconceived notion that I was perfect. Um, I know. Doesn't every kid maybe? I don't know. Like my kids seem to think that they're perfect too some of the time when I see all the flaws. But in my mind, when I was a kid, I felt like I was perfect. I was fairly obedient. I did well at school. I didn't fight with my brothers. I have three younger brothers. And so we, I was just kind of this model child in my mind, you know. So 
My sin wasn't blaringly obvious to me, but the Bible is still clear. All have sinned. And it became evident in my life as I approached grade three, and I started to have fear. I started to be afraid of dying. At eight years old, I was telling my mom at bedtime, like, what if I don't wake up tomorrow morning? What happens if I die? Where am I going to go? What is this? And the reality is that while I went to church, I didn't have hope for an eternal life. I um, was being awakened. There's an awakening. There's a kind of a coming of consciousness in every person's life where they realize uh, stuff about the world outside of themselves, right? Where it doesn't, isn't always what's going on in here isn't the end-all, be-all, but it's what's going on out there. And I realized that there was something more than just this experience in the here and now. And so I had not been taught the gospel, and I wondered what would happen if I died, and at that point, I was without hope. And we kind of just prayed through it, and I didn't really get a firm answer, just, God loves you, pray, he's always there, and, and you, you'll, you'll be okay, basically. And so the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, and in this epistle, and another, so we, we all know a little bit about the Apostle Paul, right? And so he wrote the book of Romans, but he wrote a whole bunch of letters. Most of the New Testament was written by Paul, and most of it is letters that he wrote to churches. Let me take a drink here. So in another epistle in 1 Timothy, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. I'm the king of all sinners. I'm the chief of all sinners. He identified himself that way, but he also gave a list in Philippians 3, that's the next slide, if you could put that up, that he showed, like, if my upbringing would make a difference, I have the difference, Paul's basically saying. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. This is Paul's words. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he calls himself blameless. But whatever, I, whatever gain I had in this, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul's basically saying, I can list off my works. I can list off my human credentials to show that I am worthy of something from the Lord. But really what it comes down to is I'm the chief of all sinners. Like, no matter what our credentials are, Scripture is the final authority on the matter. All have sinned. That's the next slide. Okay. So I didn't have any credentials, but I also didn't have a rap sheet, right? So, like, I, but I was still the worst of all sinners. Sin is sin is sin. It doesn't matter if it's what we consider a big sin or a little sin, sin is sin. All sin is sin. So there's no distinguishing one from another in terms of its effect on your eternal standing, on your eternal destination. Anything that you could try to do to make yourself right is not going to work because of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. Next slide. The good news is not so good if we don't start at this point. 
you have to start at this point to show people the good news. If you don't first see that you're a sinner in need of salvation and there's no hope for you in yourself, there's, God's gift isn't so good. But when you see that there's nothing that I could do, there's nothing I could do to prove myself, there's nothing I could do to earn it, there's nothing I could do to, um, or that my parents could have done, or that my upbringing, or my people group, none of that gets us any kudos from God. So we start at this point that, that we are all sinners, and then we get the good news. He knew, God knew, that we were lost and broken and hopeless, and he did something about it. He knew that we could never do it, so he did it for us. It's, it's amazing. It's really amazing. Next slide, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, this is the origin, origin of sin. The original sin is when Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything was perfect, they sinned. What God did was he made a covering for them out of skins of an animal. And a lot of people can gloss over that, but really this is the foreshadowing of what is required. It is a foreshadow of the need for blood to cleanse and to cover sin. God said the life is in the blood. This is in the Old Covenant in Deuteronomy. The life is in the blood. And all throughout that covenant, we see that blood is required for covering sin. In looking at this covenant, it says in Hebrews, and this is Hebrews 9.22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so if you take time to read through Numbers and Leviticus, you will see that blood is used to purify your home, to purify your cooking utensils, to purify the priests in preparation of the altar, in, in worship and in daily life. Blood was required to provide a, a purification. And so God set it up that way. And he knew what the answer was from the beginning. He knew that it would take a blood sacrifice to cover the sins of mankind. And this is why Jesus needed to die. Next slide. He came, Christ came to this earth with that intention. Like this was something that really actually hit me as I was preparing this message. Like we know that Christ died, but do we know that he pre planned it? He came with that specific purpose. It wasn't like, oh, well, I'm here. Oh, oops, I got crucified. No, like, uh, he came knowing that he was going to pay the price for your sins, for our sins, for it to cover humanity. He came with the intention to cover us, to provide a sacrifice that would cover our sins. So God gave us this incredible world. Just a second. He created us to be his image bearers. It's a big responsibility. He created man and women in his image. In the image of God, he created them. And the purpose was for us to carry God's kingdom, to extend his kingdom over the covering the earth, the face of the earth. He wanted us to take his image and replicate it so that his kingdom would cover the earth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, this was undermined. Now we're flawed. 
What are we covering the earth with? A flawed representation. It caused humans to be born sinful and dead into perpetuity. All have been covered by this curse. There was no way to overcome that, but God loves humans. God loves us. He still sees his image in us. He still wants us to represent him on the earth. He wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to walk with us and talk with us. He has a plan for our lives. He has things he wants us to accomplish, and he will help us to do that. And he had a plan for us to be redeemed from the curse. He sends Jesus to earth at the perfect time to, be, to live a perfect, sinless life and then die in order to cover our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This scripture is saying that he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. When Christ died on the cross, he took all that sin, the sin of all of humanity, on himself. Jesus died before any of us knew it. And he knew that we needed him before we knew that we needed him. When I was a naive little girl... He had already paid for my sin. He knew that before I did. He knew what I needed before I, before I knew what I needed. In my life, that looked like me growing up in church, loving the stories from the Bible, having this fear thing for a season, then becoming aware of my sin and waiting for the gospel message. He's working on all of us. And your story might look different from mine, but in spite of it, Christ died for you before you knew that you needed a Savior. And Christ died for all the people out there. And every person who's meeting in every church and every person who's rejecting him, he died for them before they knew that they even needed a Savior. And he paid the price before we asked for help. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not surprised by our sin, like I was. I was surprised by my sin as a child. But he knew the things when I stole that Barbie dress from my friend and took it home with me. You know, he knew when, when I told a fib to get my brother a little bit more in trouble than I did, you know, or whatever the case may be, right? Like, there was this time that I mixed mud with shaving cream and fed it to my neighbor's brother and told them he was chocolate mousse, you know? Like, <laughs> he was so mad. <laughs> so there was, there was viciousness in my heart even before I realized that it was sin, right? Like, it's just the silliness of childhood, right? But... He paid the price before I knew that I needed a savior. He's not surprised by our, by our sin, and he never says, well, that's hopeless. There's nothing that will get that response from our loving God. Christ's death covers all sin. 
So I would bet that most people who come to church have some sort of knowledge that Jesus died on the cross. Do you understand that he did it willingly? It, it changes the story. Christ died on the cross, and he did it voluntarily. He intended to, and he came with the purpose of saving you from your sin by dying on the cross. He did it for you, and 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 all the people for all eternity. And for Joel in the kids' room, he just raised his hand. He carried the sins of the world, the whole world. There's no one that's excluded. He carried the entire world's sin when he died on that cross. There is nothing that he did to deserve the cross. Nothing he did to deserve it. The people set him up. They tricked him. They had a false trial. They put him on the cross. But he knew it was coming. He planned for it. And you can read the gospel. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll see that he knew when his time was approaching. He knew, it's not my time yet. They can't crucify me yet. They can't kill me yet because I still have more things to do. And then, okay, the time is now. I know I'm going to the cross, and I know I'm, this is what I came for. He did nothing to deserve the cross, but it was planned in order for him to be the sacrifice for our sins. Next slide. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I just love this scripture because it shows humanity. Very rarely will someone die for someone else. Very rarely, maybe for a righteous person, maybe for a good person, but for someone who is an enemy of yours, would you die for them? And essentially that is what we were. When we, before we knew we needed a savior, he died for us. We had nothing to recommend ourselves to him. Like, oh, please, please pick me to die for. None of us were begging for that. None of us even knew. He knew we were not righteous, and he gave his life for us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The payment, like I like the, the word, the wages. I think sometimes we skip over that. Wages is what you earn, right? Like that is what you get when you work a job. You get your wages. So the fact that we are sinners earned us death. There's nothing we can do to earn anything else besides that. But the free gift of God, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we heard um, from Bruno a couple weeks ago that all sin is equal in God's eyes. And I've already said, sin is sin is sin. And in fact, in James, if we can show the next one, next slide, James 4, 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Like, it's hopeless without Jesus. 
We have all earned death, but we have all been offered a free gift. Next slide. You have won a free gift. You have won it. But most of the time when you hear that, you think, that's a scam. (laughs) Right? If you get a phone call and it's like, you've won a free gift, scam, delete, put on like do not disturb mode. You know, you get an email from somebody, you have won a free gift. Oh, put that one in the spam box. Like, we do not, we do not get free gifts naturally in this, in our lives. The gospel news is so good. It's so good that many of us don't receive it as a free gift. So when Christ says, here's your free gift, we go, okay, thank you. I commit to following you. I will commit to this activity or to doing this because you gave me this gift. Does that make it a gift? Like, if I said to my daughter, here's a gift, and now you have to prove that you're worth it, that's, that's painful. Like, hey, I'm going to give you this, and now you have to do this and this and this and this, and you have to prove that you earned that gift. Mm-mm. That's no gift. So we hear the gospel, and do we add certain works or activities or commitments to try to show that we're doing our part? We may receive a free gift, but the gift was not cheap. We just went through what was paid to get that gift. The gift didn't come for free. God paid for the gift for us. And trying to add to God's free gift to us by something we can do, that's an insult to his gift. So I heard the gospel message when I was in grade six. I knew that God existed. I've already told you that. I knew that he loved me. I had always known that. I never really heard that I had a sin problem, that Jesus was my savior and that I needed to respond. I prayed a prayer in my heart asking Jesus to be my Lord and savior. And I didn't tell anyone. My life went on as usual. That experience came through a theater drama. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. I think you can watch it on YouTube. I saw the gospel presented for the first time. I was scared into accepting Jesus as my Savior. I was scared because I felt that God might turn me away. This left me wrestling for a few years about whether I was really saved and how could I know for sure. Maybe some of you have been in that place too. Next slide. It was God that initiated this transaction and that transaction and that transaction when he paid for your sin and you received him as your savior. God initiated that. So he knew that we were helpless, that there was nothing we could do. He made a plan and offered us an almost too good to be true gift. If that's where our salvation comes from, a free gift to us, a free gift that cost him so much, then we can be certain that the Lord is not fickle. I mean, if you've worked so hard to plan for a gift, are you going to just take it away? Why would the Lord do that? It doesn't make any logical sense. Just saying. So he initiated the transaction. He paid the price. He gives you a free gift. 
you receive it, he's not going to then just go, oh, that sin was too bad, I'm taking it away. Or, oh, you lost faith for a fraction of a second, so I'm taking it away. No, he is not fickle. He does not change his mind. He gives us a free gift, and he does not take it away. Romans 10.9, the last um, part of the Romans road, is because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can you be confident in your salvation? Absolutely. I've just outlined <laughs> that you can definitely be sure and that God knew that you were hopeless and he did something because he loves you and he wants to be with you eternally. He provided the sacrifice to cover your sins and he offers you a free gift not requiring much from you for your salvation. I say much because there is something that is required. It's not a commitment. It's not some works. It's not me being trying to be perfect. But there is something in this verse that you do have to do. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And that's it. Romans 10.10. I'm going to use the amplified version for this because I like how it kind of expands for with the heart, a person believes in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification. That is being made righteous, being freed of the guilt of sin and made acceptable to God. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. So there's a two-step process kind of outlined here. Believing and confessing. Believing results in justification, and confessing results in salvation. And those words are very closely linked, but they are, I've said this before and I'll say it again, words mean something. So you can't just say, well, they're, the, they're basically the same thing, uh, but it is different. So next slide, justification means, and I looked this up in the original Greek, but I'm not going to try and pronounce that word, it means righteousness. What is right? Justice. The act of doing, and I want you to highlight that, the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards, the state of being in right relationship with God. So justification kind of by definition has to do with our actions. Next slide. Salvation, oh, I don't think we got salvation up there, maybe. Did we get, okay, okay, sorry. So go back to justification. I'm going to read salvation to you, and you're going to have to just listen very carefully. Salvation means rescue, deliverance, the state of not being in grave danger, and so being safe. Usually it refers to believers being safe from righteous wrath and in a proper relationship with God. So both of them have to do with our relationship with God. Both of them have to do with being in right standing or being in proper relationship. But justification says the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards. And salvation means the state of not being in grave danger. Act versus the state of being. Do you, do you understand the slight nuance difference? What I'm basically trying to say is the two go together. Justification and salvation 
go together. Believing in Christ as your savior results in your justification. It means that you receive Christ's action, Christ's sacrifice as your own. What he did is now credited to your account as your action. It becomes part of what your being is, what you do. It covers your messy, sinful actions with his justice. It, you confess with your mouth, and it results in your salvation, the state of being safe in Christ. Both mean that you are in right relationship with God. You are made righteous. You are justified. You are free of the guilt of sin. You are made in right standing and acceptable to God. When you believe that Jesus Christ died in your place and rose again to offer you this free gift of eternal life, God accepts that belief and he says, not guilty. You're free from sin. You're free from sin and more than that, you are righteous. At that moment of salvation, at that moment of justification, God says not guilty and makes you right. He credits what Christ did to your account and he says you are covered by the blood of the lamb. You are righteous. So in my life, what, how this played out is I was, I told you I was, I'd said the sinner's prayer and I was concerned about whether I was actually saved. And so I had um, a journey of understanding the gospel more. After that, it seemed like there's been a few times in my life where my eyes have kind of been opened to a new reality. And thank you. You saw that I was almost out of water. Um, so this actually made me more hungry for church and for the word of God. And so I desired more of the Lord and I started attending more church events, including youth group. So that was, um, at about grade eight that I started attending youth group and I attended a youth event and I was feeling the conflict again inside my spirit and they were giving an altar call. And I was like, no, I don't need to do that altar call. I've already accepted Jesus as my savior. But the Holy Spirit was tugging and saying, you got something more that we need to deal with. And so I went forward for the altar call and my youth pastor came over. And I just remember he had the worst breath. It was like, there were no Altoids on the altar that day. And he sat down next to me and he was like, I'm sorry, he, he even said, I'm sorry, I know I have bad breath, but we, I don't have any solution for you right now. So <laughs> we were sitting there, and he asked, do you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior? And I said, I've already prayed that prayer. And he asked, and this is a moment of wisdom. He asked, did you tell anyone? I told him that I hadn't, that I'd been it had been quiet in my heart, and he told me I should pray out loud with him again, and I did. When I confessed with my mouth... I experienced the state of being safe in Christ. And this may look different. I don't want to turn anything into a legalistic thing, but I feel like it is important when somebody turns their life to Christ that they respond verbally as well as with a, with a prayer in their heart. That there is something that, like, we are born into a community, 
and community does not just not know. Like, and you, you have to say something in order for you guys to know about me, I have to say something. In order for me to know about you, you have to say something, right? And so there is a saying that brings you into the fold, if you will. You have to talk because we can't read each other's minds. And while God can read our hearts, and maybe I was already saved, like this is a tricky thing. Guys, I don't, uh, there's no black and white on this, but what I will tell you is that the scripture says, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And if it says that, it says that for a reason. So I confessed with my mouth and I experienced the state of being safe in Christ. There is freedom, freedom and power and hope and joy and peace when you know that you are safe in Christ. I'm going to list those again. And actually, if the team, if somebody, Joel, do you want to come up? Okay, you can hear me. I'm kind of coming to a close. So these are what you, this is what happened to me when I knew that I was safe in Christ. There is freedom and power and hope and joy and peace when you know that you are safe in Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. It didn't make my life easy necessarily. Um, I still learned the hard way many, many a time. I made mistakes but I never questioned whether Jesus had saved me. I never questioned whether he was my savior. I never questioned whether he was against me. He's not against me. He's always for me. And so even in the times where I messed up and I sinned after that moment, I knew that he was still for me and not against me. And he is for you too. He is for you too. If you believe and confess that Jesus is Lord, then he is for you. Abigail, could you take Sarah, please? Thank you. I don't want you to, to, to miss that. If you have made Jesus your Lord and Savior, he is for you, not against you. Now, this is just the beginning of your life in Christ at this point. If you pray the sinner's prayer, that's just the beginning of your life in Christ. You are justified by belief and you are saved by confession, but there are promises to stand on and there is sanctifi sanctification, another big word, to undergo as Christ works in you and changes your life from the inside out. But those things are not the same as being saved. This is the requirement of salvation to confess with your mouth and to believe in your heart because we have a good God who has paid the price for our sin before we knew we needed it. He paid the price. He came intentionally to cover us and he offers an almost too good to be true free gift. You have won a free gift. <laughs> I want to finish with two scriptures. Philippians 1.6 and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. There's still more work that he's going to do in our lives. And Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those are the faithful people that are listed in Hebrews 11. You got to read Hebrews 11 and then you go into Hebrews 12. So since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so there's a few ways that we could respond today. Have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Have you believed and have you confessed? We'd never want to leave that out. And so if there's a response that you need to make, the, um, find someone to pray with you. There's going to be an altar ministry time. Can I just call them up, Vernon, now? The, if the altar ministry team will come forward. And if you need prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, then come forward and pray that prayer, and we will welcome you into the community of God, into the family of God. If you have wandered and you have wondered whether Jesus is for you or against you, if you have been in a season where you've questioned whether he is good and whether his grace still covers you in the midst of messing up, there's always room to make that right and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are still my savior. Thank you that you, you paid for that mess up even before you, I knew it was gonna happen. And we would like to pray with you too, that you would come back to a place of knowing that Jesus is for you and not against you. And then if you know someone who you need to share the gospel with, you need to share the, this good news with them so that they can become part of the body of Christ. And you just need someone to pray with you about that and encourage you and maybe even hold you accountable. Now's a good time to come forward for that too. And I'll just pray a, a, a closing prayer and then invite you to respond. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for what you've done. We are so grateful that you intentionally came and covered our sin when we were helpless and hopeless. We are so grateful for the free gift that the Lord extends to us. And we, we do wanna be good stewards of that, but we accept it based on the belief in our heart and the confession of our mouth that you are Lord, that you are Savior, that you were raised from the dead, that you conquered death in the grave, and that because of your blood, we are covered. We praise you, Lord. We glorify you. And we ask, Lord, that you would work on hearts to accept your gift. In Jesus' name.